Hey, thanks for joining me. Today my guest is Devin Harris, one of the original Jamaican bobsledders. Nope, not from the movie. No, no, no. An athlete from the 1988 Olympics in Calgary. A story that's so amazing that it inspired a movie called Cool Runnings with John Candy, which, quiet as it's kept, I've also started. But honestly, the true, real story of how a bunch of Jamaicans ventured into a winter sport is way more wild and fantastical than the fictional movie version. And Devin Harris is the perfect personality to take us through this adventure. A charismatic, inspirational kind of a guy. And a real bobsledder. Check him out. So we have Devin Harris here. The one and only original, original, OB, original bobsledder. <laughs> yes, Raul, or should I say, Junior Bevel. It is great to be able to hang out with you, man. I was like... Yeah. I haven't seen you in a long time, man. Well, just recently watching you, because I'm into motivational speakers, and I noticed that you've become one, which is really good because you, when I met you back when I was a wee lad... <laughs> your vibe was always a uh, I remember feeling like man this these guys are so inspirational you know what I mean the real the real mm -hmm. deal you're like to me you guys are like the the real bobsledder you're like you're like emotion actual emotions and we're emojis yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've, I've never heard that before but oh, that's cool we're that, like a symbol of <laughs> <laughs> that's even before emojis were a thing. I know, I know, I know. But but that's that's the best way I can describe it because I feel like we're a symbol of the reality, which is the mm -hmm. Jamaican bobsled team. You yeah, know? <laughs> it, it's a it's a a symbiotic relationship though because I think you guys, uh, if I, I dare say, gave our story life and, and longevity. Mm. Uh, you know, we did what we did in the Olympics, and it's obviously part of Olympic history, Olympic folklore. Mm. Um, uh, you know, but generations now. Right, right. You know, people who weren't even thought back in 1988 know the story <laughs> and relate to the story. And it's because of the, the work that, you know, is a symbolism that the emojis bring to their experience. <laughs> right. <laughs> But how does it feel though? Because it's like a, I, I see now that it's like a, you know there's bobs that rides in Jamaica. There's like mm -hmm. you know, people people for Halloween dressing up like bobsledders. This <laughs> is like yeah, yeah. And, got, and I've gotten me into trouble too. Because of, <laughs> yeah, with the blackface. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, I've gotten in trouble for that. Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I, I'm understanding that. But, yeah, I didn't feel I didn't feel bad. I mean, it's it, not to as far as when young white kids trying to be their heroes uh if the, because they have no attachment to the fact of what black the history of blackface you know right and that's the thing though uh yeah and being jamaican i have no attachment to it as well right uh, and i remember that the first time it came to my attention there was uh four white kids who who, who painted their face black and a black kid from trinidad who painted right. his face white and I'm like, well, that's the team. Um, <laughs> that's a problem. And interestingly enough, my teammates felt the same way. Um, mm. And yeah, and you know, I got some. Uh, and then there was another incident, and you know, and I was like supportive of the guys, and mm. I got some nasty emails, man. And so I started to think about it a little bit more. Uh, and interestingly enough, my kids who are American-born. Right. Um, have a closer attachment to the blackface situation stigma than yeah. I do, right? Than than right. we do. So, so so I get it. I get it. And so I kind of channel uh whenever I hear of people doing that now, I channel Obama. I'm like, don't do stupid shit. Because right, right. um you know, if, if you understand um the stigma and the hurt mm -hmm. that's associated with this thing. Although you may mean no ill will, right? The fact is that somebody is going to be deeply offended, and for legitimate reasons. It's right, not, right, right. 
you know, so. Yeah, I, know. I, I have to be honest, I'm torn because I realize when a lot of times when people do that, like kids, mm. for instance, now, I'm not talking mm. about grown ass men and women, mm. <laughs> but kids, when, <laughs> they, when they try and you, you guys became a heroic uh, characters and part of a historical representation of like a teamwork. There's so much there and, and kids trying to emulate their heroes. I feel like it's a, a, an educational moment as opposed to just chastising people. Yeah. Because we have to realize that the intent is not always was to, you know, to, to mockery, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, you and I, I think, know that, you know, racism is one of those things that's really hard to prove. You know, when it happens, you know it because you feel right, it, right? Right. Um, and so it requires, in my opinion, a certain amount of wisdom Mm. to decipher, figure out when, you know, this particular action was done out with ill intent. Right. Versus, you know, it's it's uh, paying homage or, uh, right, you know, right. to, to a particular, like in our case, and the, 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 the case of our team. And that's, I don't think most people are willing to have that conversation. Right, right. You know, and... Um, and, and history and history of hurt. I get it. Um, right, right. I come from a I come from a different place. Right? I'm not right. I'm not naive. Okay. You know, I'm, uh, you know, I grew up knowing that my descendants are slaves. Right, we're from Jamaica, right. and you just kind of embrace that, and you go, okay, well, all right, fool. I'm gonna move on in the world and see how I can <laughs> right. impact the world. Yeah, yeah. And then the thing is, we're from the Caribbean too, you know, so we have uh, we have examples of like, you know, it might be a bank owner that's black or we have so many examples of black people in prominent positions. And it's not a big deal as in America. Where it's like when you I remember when I first moved here and you see a black guy with a nice car, like, oh, that brother made it. Yeah. Yeah. And in the islands is like so. Yeah. You know what I mean? Exactly. <laughs> is he a jerk or is he a nice guy? You know, he didn't really. That's what that's what it comes down to. Yeah. So it's a matter of perspective, right? And the, I guess the history behind it and the the history that informs that perspective. Right, 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 right. You know. But I just kind of want to let people know what you've been up to, man. You've been a, it's been an amazing journey. From we have Devin Harris, one of the original. Bob Slater, the, the the one of the the man, the legend, the myth. <laughs> <laughs> and I just and you went from Olympic Gardens, right, mm -hmm. to the Olympics. You know, tell people yeah. about that. Yeah, well, you know, I, I I often joke. I'm like, Olympic Gardens is where we grow all our Olympians in Jamaica. <laughs> <You know? laughs> um, you know, so I was having a conversation with someone recently, and she was actually surprised that, you know, because, you know, athletes who made it, uh, you know, most of them, most of us, sports was a thing that was our vehicle out of uh, the hood. Olympic Gardens are our friends, the hood. Um, and I said to her, no, sports wasn't the thing that was my way out of the hood. Mm. Um so Olympic Gardens, um, uh, you know, in, in Jamaica, I grew up uh, in, in uh, the most notorious enclave in Olympic Gardens. They call it Waterhouse um, or, or Firehouse because it, it was violent, man. It was wow. it's fiery, um, especially back in when I was growing up, late, uh, late 70s, early 80s, mm -hmm. you know, political and, and gang violence was kind of on the rise. So that was, you know, impoverished and just... You know, but there are aspects of it that's just miserable, you know. Right. Um, and uh, and you kind of look around, and there's there are not many examples, if any, of, of success examples. You know, people that you'd want to uh, emulate, emulate, right? Um, and and you look around, and there's nothing in your environment that suggests that success is even remotely possible. Right. Um, so yeah, I love sports. You know, I grew up playing soccer, and then I started running track. And you know, and you know, unfortunately, because I'm Jamaican, I'm not all that fast. <laughs> well, it's stiff competition. Yeah, 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 like fourth. It's like it's not working out well. 
Um, you faster than the average person. That, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I ended up running middle distances, and mm. um, you know, and, and it's also a simple strategy. You just hold on until all the little buggers get tired, and then you win. You know, so it's right, like, right. <laughs> pretty, pretty <good> strategy. <laughs> um, That's funny. So, so I had I had these crazy dreams though, of of competing in the Olympics. Mm. Uh, and I wanted to do it in LA in 84 as a high school student. So oh, yeah. that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Um, but the thing that that kind of kept me focused, uh, Raul, was I wanted to be an army officer. That mm-hmm. that was my ticket out of the hood. Um, I really wanted to be a soldier. There's no doubt about it. That you know, mm. you can tell my grandmother and the crazy stories she told me when I was young. Um, and then when I was old and I realized, hey, you can actually enlist as an officer. And I saw that as like, the quickest way out of the ghetto, man. Right, so, right. you know, I'm going to be in the middle class. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Just have to do this as a training thingy and I'll be good, you know. Right. Um, and, and so, yeah, so that kept me focused, you know, that kept me in the books, you know, and took care of business in school and so being in the Olympic Gardens is like you're basically saying there's like a few ways out. Everybody picks you, and a lot of people pick sports. Some people pick dance hall, <laughs> or whatever. Except that during my time, sports wasn't a viable option. I mean, oh, okay, gotcha. you know, not not athletes weren't being paid what they were being paid. Right. Olympic athletes weren't being paid post. Maybe in the ninth, well, maybe 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 the advent of the dream team is 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 what jumps to mind. Right. Uh, I think ninety two was the first time professional athletes were allowed to compete in the Olympics. Mm. It gotcha. was just a way to represent your country with pride, which is what was our motivation in eighty eight as well. It wasn't, hey, if I make it to the Olympics, I'm going right. to make it up, right? right. It wasn't. Uh, I talk about Yul Brenner. It wasn't a Yul Brenner moment trying to win the Olympics and go live in Buckingham Palace. <laughs> right, just right. Like, um, trying to go, you know, go to the Olympics and say, yeah, you did something for your country. Right, right. So, so, so what were your options? That's a really good question. Um, dance hall, yes. Dance hall, mm. dance hall. There, was, there were not many options, man. Right, 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 right. So you, so you chose the military, yeah. uh, sol- soldier boy, as we say. We say. Mm-hmm. And then, how did that work out? How did did it live up to your expectations? Y- yeah, um, it's it's kind of funny. Um, yes, and hmm, I didn't see that coming, kind of thing. And by mm-hmm. that, I mean, it's an amazing thing to to like accomplish a lifelong dream, right? Right. Damn, I'm a soldier. Damn, I'm an officer man it's like it's such a it's such a a world away from what i grew up with right being an army officer now but here's a so so yes i was in the middle class as an army officer but guess what guess what i discovered i was still in the hood i was straddling the fence i didn't i i I, in my head uh, the way i pictured it was that i was going to do all of this work and go through the training and I was going to become an officer, which I did. And I would Im- be immediately elevated to the middle class and out of the ghetto. Oh. And what I found was that I was immediately elevated to the middle class. There was one foot firmly planted in there, mm. but the other foot was still in the hood. My siblings, my family still lived there. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So when I leave, when I left the base to go home, mm. I went to the hood. Right. When I went to the Olympics and I'm on TV in front of the world, and I returned to Jamaica and I'm not on the base. I'm right, right back in the hood. Oh, that's a good point because that's the, uh, the you're always in proximity to poverty and struggling, right? Yeah. It was poverty adjacent. Yeah. I, I, you know what? And, and I've never thought I have, but I guess I've never, I'm not as articulate as you, so I'm not express it in this way but but you know jamaica the caribbean um mm-hmm. it, I mean, geographically it's such a small space mm-hmm. that you don't have to go very far right. to go from really wealthy to very poor right 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 it's like it's like, it's like you're looking over the fence 
Right, right, right. That's a really good point because you're saying that, oh, wait, wait, I didn't really quite, I'm not quite out of the hood yet. <laughs> but <laughs> no. And, you know, there's a thing called the black tax. You know, what what mm -hmm. happens is when when a lot of times in America, at least when black people make it out, then they, they, they start to realize, oh, now I got to buy Uncle Jojo a house. <laughs> you know what I mean? Now I got to pull my, my sister, you know, she needs a car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Trying to bring so many people up that it sort of kind of keeps you weighted down into that world. Mm -hmm. uh, it's actually a term I'm not familiar with. I'm familiar, certainly familiar with the concept. And for me, certainly, you know, I'm young, um, free, single, and disengaged. Mm -hmm. My family, my siblings um, were my main focus, you know. So, right. you know, it's like, yeah, I'm doing my thing and I'm trying to move forward here in the army. I'm, Oh yeah, this bobsled thing came up. Let me go try that. <laughs> but, but, at, but at the same time, there's always an eye back, right? right. Because I'm not. That, you're right. The black tax, if you call it that, is like. Well, th there are some of us who go. Oh, I made it. See ya. Right, right. You know, right. that's. But that's not me. That's not how I'm made up. So. Um, right, right, right. You know, there's always that. That that desire and the effort to always be making sure that my siblings were good. Right, right. One of the things I'm struck by, as you said, the military, a lot of people, just for a lot of my listeners, they probably didn't even realize Jamaica had an army. <laughs> I, I talk about that all the time in speeches. I'm like, I'm like you guys are giving, you didn't know Jamaica had an army? I mean, why do you think the United States you invade, considered invading Jamaica, right? I'm like, man, those coconuts make really good missiles. You bet. <laughs> Jamaica is a fascinating place to me because... First of all, I, I travel around, I go to parts of Europe and I've been to the United Emirates and I always run into a Jamaican. <laughs> they're, dude, they're, they're everywhere, man. They're everywhere. Right. And everybody knows about it. The culture is so marketed. I, I would say next to the United States, it's the most marketed culture in, in the world. One of them, you know, you could be in a small town in Switzerland and people like, yeah, Jamaica, you know, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on. I'm like, yeah. nobody's like that, first of all. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Except in Cool Running. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but, but, <laughs> Hollywood accent. <laughs> yeah, but, but you're right, though. Um, it, You know, we talk about how we, you know, punch way above our, our weight class. And mm. it's it's you're going to be hard-pressed to meet someone who has not heard of Jamaica. What do you think it is about the culture that makes it so uh, infectious? We're just cool. <laughs> You're biased. <laughs> okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> we just, um, that's a, you know, yeah, I, I wish I knew. Um, I just, we're just, we're just cool, man. We're just um, easygoing, you know, we're kind of full of it because uh, we we think we're the best, right? It's like right, as, a singer, right. uh, as a former ambassador, and, and you're saying, "Are we Jamaicans think we're the best? And we have the the best music, the best athletes, the best women? Can you not see that?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, yeah. we kind of go out. We kind of go out in the world, um, just expecting to dominate. Mm. Yeah. You know, we, we I, and I don't know where that comes from mm -hmm. um you, you know what i know when i when i think of sports track and field especially mm -hmm. is that you you just expect there's this expectation you're, you're on the team you have to win right, right? right, right, right. right. but but so you know people rise up and this is a, a lesson for all of us whether we're talking mm -hmm. about your country or your family or your businesses mm -hmm. your companies people rise up to the level of expectations that, that right. that's so true because that's one of the things i realize about the, the, like the cultural narrative in jamaica is like we're the best number one kids in school you're like uh you, you know yeah. they, they come in second <laughs> you know you get your report card second <laughs> I, know. I know you're in class you're coming second right no it's yeah. true man and okay. so, but, but, but when I think about that, that, that makes it to like, your music is like popular in the world, like uh, your sports, your athletes, the, the food, you know, so maybe that uh, is a, like you said, a lesson in uh, 
when they expect to be number one, you kind of at them end up being number one, you know? Mm -hmm. Just do your best, right? And when I watch programs in Jamaica featuring kids and they talk about, yeah, I'm just going to do my best. And mm -hmm. and, and that kind of, in a way, I'd kind of forgotten that. Mm. Um, and I'm like, yeah. So although we use the word best, what what that translates into is excellence right, I, right. go and you do your just do your best man if you right. just do your best ooh. Yeah, yeah. and when you go into any situation with that kind of mindset stuff yeah. happens you end up having a jamaican bubs team <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah and, and, and you're right though because that expectation it is really interesting because you know I remember years ago, uh, somebody asked, you know, so at what point in this bobsled journey did you guys believe you you wouldn't be able to make it? I'm like, well, you know, I've never been asked that before, but we never thought that. Right, right, right. Because when you're on a national sports team, you're expected to do well. And we just expected to do well. We just, n never mind all the, <laughs> the obstacles that were against us, uh, the fact that you're Jamaican, but but more so, there's a time frame of a team getting selected in September to compete in the Olympics in February and never seen a bobsled before. So what? You know, those were, <laughs> we just never considered those as legitimate excuses, although they were. Mm. So you, you, didn't, you didn't look at them as obstacles. You just were like, eh. It's, just, it's tough off in the peripheral vision. Right, like, right, 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 right. But you're not paying attention to them. Right, right, right. And what what is the is a quote out of in Jamaica? It's out of many, out of many one people. Yeah, which is, uh -huh. which is already interesting. Like that type of a concept, mm -hmm. you know, as far mm -hmm. as uh, coming together as a team, you know. Yeah. As yeah. A group. In so many ways, yeah. It's um, yeah. It it on so many different levels as you think about it. Obviously, you know, you think ethnicity and you know um. I think there's a certain level of ethnic cohesiveness across the Caribbean, not just Jamaica. Right. That's just that's kind of how we roll. Um, and I can't wait. It probably will not happen, but mm. I can't wait to have a white boy on the Jamaican bobsled team. That's going to blow people's mind. Right, <laughs> right. Go, Where did he come from? Like. <laughs> Well, you know, yeah. this was that's so funny because uh, when I saw when Usain Bolt was, um, I think it was 2012 Olympics when he was running, I saw a bunch of people in the stands with the Jamaican mm -hmm. flag, and it was like an Asian right. person, white person, yeah. a couple of black people. People look a little Syrian kind of, and I'm yeah. like, that's so funny. But that's the the power of Jamaica because every all these races immediately they, they're Jamaican. They're not. They're not black. They're not white. They're not. No, no, no. We're just we're Jamaican, and they're yeah. waving that flag so proud. <laughs> precisely, precisely. Yeah, and um, and you know, so for people who just kind of have a cursory knowledge or awareness of Jamaica and just know that well, it's a black nation, let's say, when they see someone of a different hue, you know, whether they're Asian or um, European descent, mm. uh, descent. Um, speaking with an accent like mine, like that, huh? I'm like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> we have we have lots of those too, you know. And, it's, and, it's just, and just that's what that's part of one of the things as I go around the world now, and and I'm exposing the world that makes me enjoy being Jamaican even more. Right, 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 right. Well, let me ask you this, man, because Jamaican people, you can't, they, you do whatever you want, you know. So how the hell you get talked into being a bobsled? I was I wasn't talked into. I was told into it. <laughs> <laughs> There's no talking into. I was in the army. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Um, I'm I um I'm 21 years old, and I and I remember it as if it were yesterday. I'm walking down to the officers' mess, and I'm having this really intense conversation with myself you know so you're 21 years old you have achieved your big dream right? you're an army officer now mm. what are you going to do with the rest of your life is this it <laughs> this is serious <laughs> good yeah man it was ridiculous <laughs> and then i'm and then i'm like oh yeah the olympics <laughs> it, it was 
<laughs> it was 1987, summer, mm. and the Olympics were coming up in 88 mm. in Seoul, Korea. So now I'm thinking maybe I could get fit enough to qualify for the Olympics. So I start running. I start going to do my the, – the, the only thing I needed to do was to run five miles. I could just run five miles in my sleep. Right. And so I started training. Um, and then I ran this cross-country race. Uh, this was in the Army. So I go run this cross-country race, finish 14 from 40, and I was like surprised everybody, shocked. <gasps> oh, my God, he's fit. So um, run about that time, two Americans came up with the idea to start the Boston team. Couldn't get guys from the summer team to do it, so they came to the Army. <laughs> um, so my colonel now figured that he would send his young fit officer to the team trials. Um, because there's a philosophy in the army that says officers must always participate. He had a bunch of enlisted men going. And mm. so, you know, I surprised everybody in this cross country race. So he sends me. And, and so now, obviously he's, he tells me to go, I don't have to make the team, but the way I'm wired, I'm going to the team trials. Why would I not? Trying to make the team. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> in, fact, in fact, I wanted to make the team. And um, the, the, so in my head at the time, I was what I would describe as army fit. I could walk 100 miles with 50 pounds on my back and a rifle in my hand. Mm. I didn't think I was sports fit. I hadn't done any real sports training for like two years, you know? Right, right. As I, I, knew, I knew that there was nothing I could do physically to get myself in the kind of shape I thought I needed to be, but at least I could work on my mind. Right. And I, I went to the team trials and, you know, tried, they liked my smile and they selected me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I tell you, it was, it was hard, man. Um, so, so I go there and, you know, like I said, I'm a middle distance runner. Everything that they're doing is about sprinting and speed. You go through each test and you, you get scores points based on um, how well you perform. And I'm, so I'm, I'm saying in my head, you know, well, okay, they're going to choose four people. And I'm, I'm in my, I'm kind of keeping a running tally in my head of how people are doing. And I'm trying to squeeze myself in that top four. And they had what they call a push test. It's a, that is makeshift sled. And you, you basically you push it. And, and although I didn't know anything about Bob saying, I'm like this, has to be the most important test, no matter what you do or, or how you perform on the other ones. This year, this is a meal uh, ticket. Got it. Um, and I ended up having the fastest push, faster than even the fastest sprinter. Oh, wow. The two, the two fastest pushes, actually, I had. And um, so I guess that plus the smile, they go, yeah, they can. <laughs> So wait, this is funny though, because you see, so you were trying to, you didn't even know what Bob Selig was, but you're trying to, you're like, oh, I'm going to get on this team, whatever the hell it is. Yeah, I'm going to go to the Olympics, man. <laughs> I mean, so you hadn't conceptualized the fact that you'd be in snow, running on ice and all that stuff. I knew it was, this is what I knew about Bob Selig. I knew it was a winter sport. I knew it was fast and dangerous. I couldn't describe anything else about it. That's so funny. But it represented an opportunity for me to represent Jamaica in the Olympics. Right, right. Yeah. So, so in that trial, so everybody else that ended up being on the team was there too? Like, yeah. Um, ex except Chris. Except Crystals. He joined us <laughs> during the Olympics. <laughs> I mean, that's how ridiculous the story is. Just to kind of tell people who is like Devin Harris, Dudley. Yeah, yeah, right. So yeah, so the original four who got selected was Dudley Stokes, um, okay. helicopter pilot, army captain, um, Michael White, um, radio operator, private, army private. Samuel Clayton was an engineer with our railway company. And, so funny. and and Devon Harris, you know, army lieutenant, platoon commander. So that's our original four. And then subsequently to that, to that we had uh, Freddie Powell. He had he was at the team trials. He came late. Um, <laughs> as, aspiring reggae singer. <laughs> <laughs> we, we could spend an entire day talking, telling Freddie stories. Then Caswell White was an, an aspiring athlete. Uh, we're, mm -hmm. we're actually in high school together. 
Um, oh. So by the time we got to the Olympics, Sammy was no longer on the team, Samuel Clayton. Um, but the other guys I named were on the team. And then Chris Stokes was up in Idaho, the University of Moscow, on a track scholarship. Wow. So he comes on to Calgary to support his brother. And um, so we had the, the first week of the Olympics, two men, Dudley and Michael, competed in that. And it's the second week I would go, hey, um, I think we should enter the four months so we can all win a medal. I would go, yeah, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> just, just, just matter of fact. <laughs> yeah. And then we go, Chris, you're a sprinter, right? So we recruited him that week. And three days taught him everything when you were about pushing a bobsled. Um, mm. I was supposed to be the guy on the very back. Um, right. But it was really difficult for Chris to, if you can imagine, pushing a sled, sprinting downhill on ice as fast as you can, and then you have to get in the sled. Right. It's a little bit tricky uh, skill to master in three days. Trust me, bro, I know. That's what they're trying to teach us during the filming of Cool Running. Yeah. That's one of the things. Hey, you guys can't look embarrassing. Like they kept having this learn how to run and jump right. in the sled. And I think uh, Malik spiked me uh, a couple of times. And exactly, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. was, but uh, but we were trying to make you not make you guys look bad. <laughs> well, but, but it's funny you you mentioned that because if you watch real footage, the mm -hmm. second run, Michael White is standing up going into corner two. Because his spikes were stuck in my thighs. <laughs> oh, man. You know? and people are like, sit down, sit down. I'm like, we know, we know. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I'm trying to dislodge his, 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 uh, his spikes from my thighs. Trust me, you, you not made us look bad. That's what actually happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't feel so bad now. <laughs> One of the things I was thinking when I was filming this movie, I was like, how the hell did you pull that off? Um, that was, a, it was like so much more amazing to me because I actually had to, um, you know, pretend to be not, not exactly you, but you didn't. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. No. So I tell people all the time that the true story is even more amazing than the movie. Right. Right. I think though, that if you, put that stuff in the movie, people would just find it so unbelievable. It wouldn't be as entertaining because it would be like, if, if you put in the movie that the week of the Foreman event at the Olympic Games is when we decided that we we're going to do it. And then the driver's brother come and you recruit him and you put him on the sled. And then the end of the week, you push in the seventh fastest start time. People go, come on. That's just, just yes. that's over the top. Point. <laughs> yeah it's over the top exactly but that's what happened right right this is why i like you being on this podcast because i want people to know like you think that story the, the movie was crazy wait till you hear what happened these guys are do you know what i mean like uh mm -hmm. especially they wouldn't even let us go down down this because you didn't want us to kill ourselves and right, right 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 have to hire new people to film the rest of the movie <laughs> <laughs> dude what, my first trip down the sled which was from down the track which was from the halfway point i'm mm. crawling in the sled behind sammy sammy was my driver mm. and a two man and he had never driven a sled before either wow and I, and I just like i i, I just resigned i'm not like if i die i die but i'm going wow yes yeah, yeah, so you, you guys are way more manly than we were yeah, uh, you can't be on the bob set him and go home and go so how was it well i didn't go down <laughs> like... yeah well we were upset that they wouldn't let us go down but i get i, I understand for insurance reasons they uh yeah, yeah i yeah. mean quiet as it's kept a couple of us snuck on our own and went down i mean oh cool i won't say who which one and yeah 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 a yeah. couple of, and they wouldn't let you drive obviously they we sat in the yeah right obviously the, no, no the the breakers the and, right yeah yeah, yeah yeah that would be like a suicide exactly yeah but you you guys did it you said he hadn't driven before yeah but you start from the halfway point though you don't go to the very top so you have to learn you have to learn to drive so yeah, how are you yeah, going to yeah. learn to drive the only way to do it is so it's a process, right, where 
I, and I went through it because I became a driver afterwards. Mm. So you sit in the sled and you go from the halfway and they nudge you off as slowly as possible. And you, you're basically just surviving, pulling the ropes to get to the bottom. And then after you do it a couple of times and you feel more comfortable, mm. you go, okay, let's go to the three-quarter part of and then eventually to the top. And you're, I mean, you start off just going as slowly as possible just and then just surviving getting on the track until it becomes more familiar, you become more confident and you start mm. trying to shave off a tenth of a second and, you know, five hundredth. It's kind of amazing, the progression. Yeah, yeah. So how do you feel like bobsledding is a metaphor for your life or life in general? Um, it's a really good question. Thanks for asking that. You know, so my, my mantra uh, these days is to keep on pushing. Let's begin with a start. It's um, the uninformed person think it's one action, one massive push. You have to, the four-man sled weighs over 650 pounds, so you have to get that, uh, you know, apply that massive amount of energy to get over the initial inertia, but then you have to keep on pushing because mm. you're trying to get maximum speed in a shorter time as possible. So you have to keep keep that energy going. And then you get in the sled and in a way you're still pushing because you have to deal with the ice conditions and the weather conditions and the twists wow. and turns of the track. The sled isn't running on rails. You're actually steering it. Right. And then you're trying to do better than what you did before as well. Very much like the success journey of life. You know, you're, you're always... Um, you're, you're, in my head, our every goal that we have is kind of sitting on its own version of a 650-pound bobsled, and you kind of have to, right. you know, come with that massive amount of energy, and then you have to keep it going to get to build up the momentum. Mm. And then as you are kind of getting into it, you know, you think about the amount of energy you put into just open the doors to your business. Right, right, right. right. But then the fact that the doors are open doesn't mean that the work is done. Right, right, right. right. You navigate learning this, that, you know, marketing, all, all the stuff that you need to do. And you're trying to uh, increase your market share all the way through. And that's, uh, and that's kind of thinking that philosophy applies to every era of our lives as well. Right, right. So it's like bobsledding, like life, it's, it's not a destination, it's a journey. It is a journey. Absolutely. Wow. All the way. Through. Yeah. I got to ask you, though, I mean, I'm just wondering, like, how you must feel like to have something that you did be so inspirational that people want to do a movie about it, because no one's want to done a movie about anything I've done. <laughs> <laughs> um, dude, it's really cool. It's, really, uh, it's flattering, man. Um, not many people can say they've been on a Hollywood movie set. And, and, and mm. I had a good fortune of being on one. And then to be there watching them film a movie about an important part of your life. I, I mean, the only word I can come up with is flattering. It's, it's like, it is really the stuff that Hollywood movies are made of. Because right. when I was back in Olympic Gardens, I could never have dreamt of that. Right, right, right. There's just, there's just no way I could have dreamt that. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm standing here right now and it looks kind of desperate <laughs> but yeah hollywood's gonna make a movie about me <laughs> how is that possible yeah and explain to people like olympic gardens it's not like the normal ghetto like third world uh for lack of a better word politically correct is a developing country man <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes, <sorry. laughs> but, you know poverty i guess success many things in life are relative right so you know you live in america and if you if you miss the boat if you're in school and you just kind of wasted your time you can still go do your ged you can get a student loan pell grant blah 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 and you can you can still make it um in places like jamaica you miss the boat you've missed the boat Wow. Right. There's like there's almost like no coming back from that. You know, socially, I know things have changed a little bit now in terms of um, government assistance. When I was growing up, there was no such thing. But here you have welfare and the kind of social safety nets. Mm. 
Honestly, I know what it's like to go to bed without a meal. Right. Wow. You know, not having no idea where the first morsel is coming from. To, to go from that, it's such an astronaut. You're talking to you. You might. <laughs> <laughs> the stuff that movies are made of, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, this is like an, an uh, what do you call it, a quantum leap to, yeah. to, to having movies made about you. What is there anything about the movie you like? I, I don't want to go, I don't want to say it annoyed you, but you're like, come on, that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> I could think of one, but I, I'll let you go. Junior Bevelin is, uh, is, uh, and it's kind of docile ourself. I'm like, I'm like, you know, that's not Jamaican. It's just like, right, 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 right. Um, um, he was timid. I like to say. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, Junior was the, the Junior character. Well, initially, anyway. I mean, yeah. your Jamaicanness came out after you had that scene in the mirror. Um, but yeah, it's just like, come on, man. That you know, you know, that's not us. What else, though? That's a really good question. Um. Because, you know, you're working with Disney <laughs> mm-hmm. and they didn't want you to do no accent. They kept telling us too much Jamaican. You're like, cut. Let's do that yeah, over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's too much. That's too. People in Toledo was not going to know mm-hmm. what the hell you're talking about. Because right. the thing about Hollywood is they try to appeal to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know? That's actually one thing that one of the biggest complaints that people, Jamaican, yeah. have of the movies. Like, I understand that. Well, you know, the, the, the whole, and I understand Hollywood, you have to have this um, tension and conflict and, and the right. result, resolution of the conflict, right? And so the whole thing with the German guy, right. the team, that, that did not happen. And, and I think athletes in general treat each other with respect um, and treat each other well. And I promise you at the Olympic Games, People aren't wasting energy on that. It, it, it's the most important race in four years. If, if anything, they're thinking, you know, at least we're going to beat them jokers from Jamaica. So let me focus on what's going on. Hmm. Here's an experience I had. Um, so I'm at the Olympics, and the Olympic Games was the first time we're seeing the big names in our sport. Those are our first major competition, right? So we're there, and like, oh, so that, oh, and who's that? I wouldn't say we we're starstruck. It was just like, okay, fine. So we're putting uh, um, uh, faces to the names, mm. <clears throat> but then we're also in learning mode, you know. So we're there to we're watching everybody trying to pick anything up, and then you're there in competition mode, competing as as hard as you can. So right. in my mind, the way that was what was going on. Those three things. So while I'm sitting there in the warm house. You know, when I was there, like your stomach is churning, you're weak with nervousness, and it's just a crazy <laughs> kind of atmosphere. But I'm sitting there, just kind of taking in the scene. This East German um, guy, uh, and I think it's Wolfgang Hoppe, who was at the time the best driver in the world. He took a break from his preparation, smiled, handed me an East German pin. Wow. And it's just like, oh, yeah, welcome to the brotherhood, you know? Yeah. Uh, the, the worst part of the story, Raul, is I have no idea where the pin is, man. You know how much that would be worth? <laughs> you know, yes. <laughs> I don't know where the pin is. I, I don't know where the pin is. The, the thing I wish they had captured in the movies, because everybody was in awe of you guys. They were like, really, uh, they know that bobsledding was a hard thing. And they know that you guys were really compete to compete at that level so quickly that people were kind of so we would go as the actors we would go into certain bars in calgary and they're like and people i mean i don't want to i don't want to blow up your spot but women would come up to us and stuff and like oh hey yeah. are you wait are you guys the bobsled and we're like no nah, they're like and they're like oh they get disappointed <laughs> we're, like, we're like no we're, we're actors in the movie they're like oh are the real guys gonna be here? Like, <laughs> like, what the hell, man? <laughs> there was a rumor that you guys were there, but it was really we were just the actors. Right, there. just yeah, dude. We we this, and this not this isn't in the movie, and it's just one of those things that kind of goes against the grain of um, uh, people perception of us as well. That we are, yeah, we're laid back, but when it's time to work, we work. And they think we're party animals. That was one of the things. Dude, we had a nine o'clock curfew. Wow. 
we had a night, I remember, remember like laying in bed, looking up on the, on the ceiling, man, pissed. But we had a nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a shame because you guys had groupies. <laughs> it's like, I was in bed at nine, <laughs> looking at the ceiling. It was such an inspirational thing to do that people were still buzzing from it, you know? No, it's, I um, I remember being in Vancouver during the games and I met this lady from Eastern Europe somewhere and um, we, she discovered who I was or how much we, insp- our story inspired her. Right. From half right, around right. the world, barely speaking English. Well, I mean, even John Candy was, you know, he, I don't know if you know this, you're aware of this, but he, uh, first of all, they didn't want him to be in the movie. They wanted like Kirk Douglas not, right. uh, not, I mean, Kirk Douglas. No, that's too old. Uh, Kirk Russell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They wanted Kirk Russell, and because he was like the coach of Disney's, you know, the guy. Right. But John Candy was a guy that uh, pulled us all aside and said, said to us in the room, he said, "They don't understand this story because they don't even realize what they have here." Mm-hmm. He said, "I'm from Canada, man." He goes, "I was there. I know what this means." And he yeah. goes, he goes, they don't, they just think they have some cute uh, Jamaica because he goes, but this is going to be big. That's yeah. what he said. Mm. He said because what, what these guys did is a big thing, you know? So I, I don't know if you got to talk to him, but he was very in awe of the whole thing. I we chatted not in, in depth, but I just remember, um, and I say it all the time that he, from the very, from the brief moments that we spent together, that is a way better human being than he is an actor. Yes. No. I think this is the narrative of this whole podcast because I think uh, like the, the real thing, the real story was so much bigger than the, the movie. But, you know, they, they can, it's an hour and a half movie. You can only capture so much. Is it a perfect movie? No. Mm-hmm. But I think it was trying to capture a lot of the nuances and essences of what you accomplished, what you did. Right. You know? And, right. and it, it captured the inspirational parts of uh, what you accomplish. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree. I thought um, that, that it, you guys did a really good job in depicting the spirit of the team is how I describe that's, it. Yeah, that's great. You know? Yeah, that's yeah. a good way to describe it. I mean, I learned that from you, man. <laughs> I'm putting some words from you. <laughs> But I mean, did did any of it like us carrying the sled? Some people were like, "Well, they didn't carry the sled because that sled is six hundred and fifty pounds." Like, oh, exactly. People ask about it all the time. I'm like, I'm like, well, I, you know, I have to admit, it's a a tearjerker, a emotional moment in the movie. Right. But I'm like, no, sorry, we didn't do that. I'm like, that thing weighs six hundred and fifty pounds. It's really hard to lift because of the what we call the articulation. Now right. imagine you're walking on ice with that thing over your on your shoulder. It's hard to hold, no straight edges, and it falls on you. Right. That's that's like a that seemed like it seemed uh, like an insurance risk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it falls I was on like, you. I was thinking when we were filming, I was like, Jamaicans are too smart to actually do this. <laughs> like, no, oh, yeah. That- no, definitely, and 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 yeah, I might get in trouble by saying too lazy to. We're not this push the thing, man. Why are you gonna lift it for? <laughs> right, like, right. That seems dangerous. That seems yeah, exactly. You know, but you know, <laughs> even filming it, they had to take some of the weight out of it, and it was still heavy. And we were trying to smiling and trying to act in a moment like no big but those deal. Really yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is, it, is it true that, that you found the sled? We rented. We rented the sled um, that week. So, dude, there's so many, there are so many obstacles. So we started. I told you we started four man that week. We recruited Chris that week. We started the, the we started the official training with a sled that almost looked as bad as Tallulah, almost. <laughs> Which is the sled in the movie? <laughs> yeah, exactly, almost. And then we rented a sled from the Canadians. And then we painted it. So if if anybody knows about bobsledding, knows that it's a lot of it has to do with feeling, right? So if you, mm. you can feel the difference between driving one car versus another. Mm. So Dudley starts out the week driving one sled and ends up the week driving a different sled. 
but it doesn't have time to really learn the sled and the nuances of the sled. And then he starts out the week um, with us pushing at one speed and he ends up the week with us pushing at a completely different pace, mm-hmm. seven fast at start time. Jeez. So now technically he's seeing a brand new track because it's going so much faster, driving a sled that he doesn't really know well. Wow. And to still have like the seven fast. First of all, you come from a country with no snow. <laughs> you hadn't mm-hmm. done it before. You have a team member that just learned to get the crash course in three days. Literally. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a different sled, which is considered like a, not a no-no, not, but, you know, considered. Yeah, like, yeah, it is a no-no. You don't do that. Yeah. And then you still pull off the seven fastest time. No, it was, uh, you know, you ever have those 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 days where it started and I go, oh, this is not good. So the morning of that run, I think Michael had left his helmet, so we had to double back for that. Mm. Right, so all right, fine, it's no big deal. We get to the track and we, we separate when we get to the track. Dudley, the driver, he goes off to walk the track. The brake men, you know, put the sled on the, on the truck and take it to the top, put the runners on, get the sled ready. And the sled is ready, and we're in the warm house, just kind of waiting for things to start for us to go warm up, whatnot. Dolly walks in the warm house, he looks unhappy. What happened? During his track walk, he slipped on the track, on the ice, and sprained his collarbone. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah, he sprained his collarbone. And um, we didn't have a, a, a physiotherapist, so the physiotherapist from the British team, you know, they have the magic spray. Sprayed mm-hmm. it on him, fixed him up, and and then we um, went off and pushed the seventh fastest start time. Jesus! So all that I mean, if I wrote that in the script, they'd be like, "Okay, this." So now he he's sprained his collarbone. Like they would they would tell me my script. That's what ridiculous. I'm saying, man. How 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 crazy the true story. People would not believe it if they saw it in a movie. Yeah, truth is stranger than fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let me ask you this: from that life-changing event too. How did that change your life? And what are you doing now and from since being yeah, a Jamaica so letter? So it's kind of interesting because, you know, I've competed in three Olympics, you know, Calgary being the first. And the first two, you know, Calgary and Albertville, France in 92, I was still in the army. Mm. And so I would literally uh, take my bobsled uniform off, put my army uniform back on and went to work. I love bobsledding. It was an important part of my life. And so was the army. But you, but you can't do something like bobsledding that doesn't change, doesn't change you, right? Right. Like, if I had a can-do outlook before, I had a stronger can-do outlook. Right, right. Um, you know, when I started uh, doing all these promotions on behalf of the Jamaica Tourist Board and I'm flying all over America, I'm seeing a side of life that I didn't know exists that I could not have seen from Olympic Gardens. Mm, I got you. So, you know, when I was in Olympic Gardens, dreaming, Lord, if I could just be an army officer, I would be happier than a pig in slop. No, it's like, it was just okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, once you go bobsled, you can't go back. Yeah, you know, it was like, it was just okay. You know, it was like, there's so much more. Um, I came to the U.S. with the intention of studying hospitality management and in the process discovered this thing they call motivational speaking. But how did, uh, what was your first motivational speaking job? Like, how did you stumble into that? You know, some people come in your life for a season and for re- others for a reason. And this dude um, was a, a, an agent for some Jamaican artists, um, Tony Rebel and Micah Silk, they're his yeah. cousins. Um, Ghana Silk, I mean, his name is Michael Silk. And I'd never had, had an agent before and he wanted to be my agent and it sounded really cool. I'm like, yeah, let's do it. And um, and he suggested this motivational speaking thing to me and I'm like, yeah, I'll do it, but after the Olympics. Um, I got sponsorship um, <laughs> in January 98, weeks before it was time to go off to Japan for the Olympics. That's another whole story, right? Right. Um, and so my first professional speaking gig was to my sponsor at their sales kickoff, kickoff meeting in Las Vegas. I survived it. I mean, you're you're kind of a motivational guy anyway, so I, I see it's like a no-brainer. 
the thing about you, you, you guys, it seems so humble. You seem so matter of fact. Yeah, because um, you, know, you kind of realize now, of course, and you know, I understand the historical significance. I, I think when you're in the middle of doing it, you're not thinking, oh, I'm making history. You're thinking, oh, I'm representing my country and I have to do the best right. that I absolutely can for my country. And then, you know, as I often say, I saw bobsledding somewhat as an extension of my military service. Mm-hmm. So I was at the Olympics representing or serving my country. Mm. What, what, where, what's next for you? What's your, you, like a, you're training in like a Nigerian ski team or something? <laughs> <laughs> I have a foundation, the Keep On Pushing Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of the work is being done in my old neighborhood now. We do a, we've been doing a, um, a school supplies program, a breakfast program. We just built. Is this in Olympic Gardens? In Olympic Gardens, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, gotcha. Wow. wow. And eventually, Raul, to grow this work uh, outside of my neighborhood, across Jamaica, across the Caribbean, into South and Central America. So, you know, we hope wow. um, that Keep On Pushing is going to have its tentacles, in, you know, across the region. Uh, you know, really, the focus is on kids who grew up like me, you know, in impoverished in areas. If, you, if there was to be a sequel to... to this movie, what would you want to see? Like, where, where would these, where would these guys have gone next? Oh, wow. Um, it's really, I've never thought of it. I've, have I thought of a sequel to Cool Runnings yet? I always kind of felt like if there was a sequel to Cool Runnings, we needed to win a medal. Um, <laughs> I don't know, that's too ambitious. Um, you know, we, had a, we had a women's team and uh, that was, Right. It was found that that could have been the sequel. Okay, the men did their thing, and the, right. the men have now come together to bring a women's team. That's one. That's one thing. But you know, because this, I kind of see the story as holistic. It's not just about sports. It's about life right. and how, how, in a way, our life, my life, informed, you know, my participation on the team, and how that has informed my life, and and how. Mm our team has impacted the lives of so many around the world, perhaps it could really be about life after the slopes and how that experience, that event um, has informed our lives and how we're using that to impact the lives of others. Mm-hmm. But something yeah. that you guys did uh, sparked, it was an inspirational match, like sh- to spark mm-hmm. other ideas where I hear people in prison are watching the movie or and calms them down. I mean, it's all these amazing things. And that's in, initiated from something you did. Even a guy like me gets a job, you know? What I mean? <laughs> <laughs> actually, I kind of owe you, uh, owe, I owe you yeah. a cut, a percentage. <laughs> well, well, I'm, well, you know what? I'm glad it's being recorded. Good. All right, cool. I'm walking into that. <laughs> Do you think that was the same uh, effect in Jamaica? Are Jamaicans proud of this? Yeah, it's it's kind of funny you ask that because I'm thinking about tiny nation, as I said earlier, right. you know, really punching way above its 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 weight class. What if you take away the movie? What Jamaicans know about bobsledding is what they see in a thirty second clip in the news. Right. Right, they can't relate to it. They not then the way they go to a trap meet or a soccer meet, a soccer right. game, or whatever. Right, they just right. can't relate to it. Yeah, the movie, like I said, thanks to you guys as well, um, just um, gave us a gave us longevity and uh, uh, cemented us in the uh, in the popular culture, but just in the the imaginations of people and what you, you know what can happen and it reinforced in us Jamaicans that man we are something else yeah. you know we are everywhere and, um, and and if a Jamaican is involved you know they're going to do well yeah yeah God Devin Harris thank you so much my friend for being so <laughs> inspiring and so motivational thank you for doing something so uh astronomical is the word I could think. And so um, 
having so much tenacity that it inspires a world, mm. you know? Yeah. You, what you said is like being your best is all you really could do, but it in, inspires others to want to be their best. Mm-hmm. The real, um, the real OB, original the real Bob Slater. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah, man. It's been, but dude, it's, it's it's great to catch up, man. It's been too long that we have done this. Uh, yeah. It's been a great journey. Yes, and it continues to be. Indeed. Yeah. Let's uh, work on the next sequel. Sequel. Peace be the journey. <laughs> Peace, Peace yeah. be the journey. Indeed.